What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Got an epic show lined up today. We're doing a deep dive on Lyft. The company is planning to IPO here in just a couple weeks. They've recently filed their S1 document with the SEC. Lyft is, is setting up to be one of the biggest tech IPOs of 2019. They beat rival, rival Uber to market. They're projected to hit a valuation around 20 to 25 billion when they start trading here. So a ton to get excited about. I'm, I'm super fascinated by this company and think they're at the intersection of so many important trends going, out, going on right now. I mean, software is eating the world ride sharing and this whole self-driving car thing, the switch from car ownership to car renting. You know, Lyft is at the center of all of this and their S1 filing is 300 pages all about the business. So now we're going to go through the best parts. I'll put a link in the description if you want to check it out for yourself. Um, then after we go through the filing, I'm going to give my take on the financials and, and sort of in, analyze whether, you know, I'd be an investor in Lyft um, at the IPO or not. And so this is the, the IPO filing always starts with sort of an overview of the company, which is one of my favorite parts because you can see how the company thinks about itself um, and their place in the market. So starting out is one of their core beliefs here, which is that we believe that cities should be built for people, not cars. I love that. And they and they point out how city infrastructure has become overwhelmingly devoted to cars. Roads and parking lots have been replaced to have replaced too much green space. Mass car ownership strains our cities and reduces the very freedom that cars once provided. So I love this sort of high level issue at like looking at the problem and saying like we need to change how our cities are built. I totally agree and think we have way too much pavement and asphalt everywhere. And so I love love how they sort of frame up the opportunity like that. They say that car ownership has also economically burdened consumers. U.S. households spend more on transportation than on any expenditure other than housing. So this is crazy to me because I didn't know the stat here, but I, I love what they say. You know, in the U.S. alone, consumers spend $1.2 annually on personal transportation. On a per-household basis, the average annual spend is over $9,500, with the substantial majority spent on car ownership and operation. Um, Yet, the average car is only utilized 5% of the time and remains parked and unused the other 95%. And this is sort of hitting the crux of Lyft's business model and the opportunity here, which is that we believe that the world is at the beginning of a shift away from car ownership to transportation as a service. This is... The, the huge shift that Lyft and Uber have pioneered into the world, they're leveraging software to, to fully for to allow us to fully utilize our assets, which, you know, Airbnb did for homes and now Uber and Lyft are doing for cars. So that statistic that just we're in our cars, you know, we pay for the whole thing, but we're only sitting in our in there and using it 5% of the time just really shows you how much room there is to utilize all this infrastructure we built and just how inefficient the overall transportation system is. This is a really interesting tidbit on, on how the market dynamics are changing. Changing, which is that almost half of our riders reported that they use their cars less because of Lyft and 22% reported that owning a car has become less important. So this is the real change that Lyft and Uber bring in the marketplace that someone is an EV investor in Tesla and looking at companies like Neo and Arkimoto really makes me think about this whole process of, I think the buyers for, of, of cars and vehicles are going from consumers and individuals to these ride sharing networks and sort of fleets. Now, if we go down a little bit further, um, Lyft right now only operates in the US US and Canada, unlike Uber, which is global, but in the past two years, they've seen their market share in the US go up from 22% to 39% um, in just the past two years. And this is on the back of a, probably I would say part of this is due to the huge scandal that Uber faced um, about a year ago, or a year, maybe even two years ago at this point, where they had the CEO, uh, Travis Kalanick and founder got kicked out. They had to implement the new CEO, just a bunch of scandals. I really think that hurt Uber's brand here in the US and that, you know, Lyft simultaneously put their foot on the pedal. And 
in terms of marketing at that same time and was able to capture a huge piece of the US ride-sharing market. This is an interesting part of their filing that it gets to the future of this industry because we all know these companies, Uber and Lyft, you know, have drivers driving all these customers around and that's the way their business looks now. But there's almost this weird looming thing on the horizon of autonomy and self-driving cars. And what is that going to do to the relationship of Uber with its drivers and Uber with its riders? I mean, it, on one hand, it gets you super excited about the opportunity to have safer driving, uh, to have more efficient driving, to have less cost to operate when you're driving, which means cheaper transportation for consumers, you know, amazing things for self-driving. But when you're looking at it from the business perspective of Lyft or Uber, you know, you have your drivers, or which are, you know, what huge part of your ecosystem that are sort of inevitably going to be displaced. And so there's that weird dynamic. And I, I think all the, the way that Uber and Lyft are framing their entrance into autonomy as they IPO is super fascinating and something I've been waiting for. So that's why I wanted to point out this part, which is their pioneering autonomous vehicle strategy, where they basically explain, and I didn't really know this till the IPO, is that they sort of have two strategies going at once. On one hand, they have this open sort of partner network, which is uh, allows all different other like creators of self-driving cars to use the Lyft network and sort of become partners and test out their technology. So that's one hand of this open platform for anybody who wants to build a self-driving car. Then on the other hand, they have this level five uh, engineering center, which is sort of like an R&D lab, uh, which is for their own internal autonomous self-driving technology. Whether they're actually pushing seriously and have a shot at being a leader in developing autonomous technology, I have no idea, but they are trying. Then they have a couple stats about how the transportation industry looks right now. And I think, you know, they reiterate the vehicles are only used 5% of the time statistic um, and that 89% of trips to work only involve one person, which seems incredibly inefficient when the average car has like five seats. Um, and they also have this funny stat that I love, which is that at the land devoted to park in the U.S. could fill an area larger than the state of Connecticut or more than 5,200 miles. Like the amount of, I don't know, we're just, the amount of space that just goes to parking lots is, seems absurd in society. And yeah. So moving down towards more of the business, uh, Lyft buckets their business into four different categories. The first is the rideshare marketplace, um, which they've offered since 2012, which is what you probably all know and love and what I use all the time, which is their ride-sharing app where you pull open the app, you can... You, it knows where you are and then you type in where you want to go it tells you the price and then you just tap and then you can get a ride to anywhere in the city or around and so that is their main business that generates pretty much all of their revenue um, and that is their ride sharing marketplace now the, the new initiative that Lyft has been pushing into is bikes and scooters and so this is uh, they doubled down on you know we've seen Uber acquire Jump the electric bike sharing company for around 200 million shortly after we saw Lyft acquired Motivate the operator of the city bikes here in New York for around 200 million so both Uber and Lyft have expanded they're offering into these last mile solutions. I mean, we saw Bird, the scooter startup, go to like one of the fastest unicorns ever, get to a valuation of $2 billion in like a year. On and, and people were saying how absurd that was and how it was like a sign of the crazy bubble. But I also think that was a validation of just, this was one of the fastest growing companies we'd ever seen. The consumer product market fit is off the charts. I mean, people love their scootering and bike sharing apps. And so I, and, and, and Lyft and Uber are validating that by you know purchasing and moving into the space seeing it as a threat. And if you think about Lyft evolving from just a ride-sharing app into this platform that can get you to from A to B any way you want, you know, scooters and bikes are a really fascinating evolution of that story. And they do say that this uh, bike and scooter thing, which they did start to generate revenue from in 2018, is still not material. So it's not really showing up the financials, but, you know, this is going to be a huge puzzle piece of Lyft's core ecosystem going forward.
Then another big piece of what Lyft is trying to do is public transit. Um, basically, you know, they, they want their app to be a one-stop shop to get you from A to B. And so beyond just bikes and scooters and ride sharing, that could also involve subways or public buses, all this infrastructure that cities have already built. So the next phase of Lyft's app is to integrate those public uh, services and offerings into its platform. Whether they're going to be able to get revenue if they lead you to take pu uh, public transit, I don't think they do now, but that's another interesting sort of avenue for, for growth and expansion in the future. And the last thing, uh, like they said, autonomous vehicles. So they have a number of strategic partnerships here, and they have this open platform, which, like I said, can let, you know, sort of startups who want to test their technology integrate with Lyft's network. And they actually uh, point out they have this company called Aptiv, who has deployed a fleet of fully autonomous cars in Las Vegas, although it does have a safety driver in the front seat. Um, and that uh, little, you know, strategic partnership alone has generated 35,000 rides in Aptiv autonomous vehicles since January 2018, which I think is pretty cool. Now let's get into some fun, the metrics here. Um, how big is Lyft's business? What are the key, key numbers we're looking at? Active riders and rides. And so this is, you know, I would say the two most important numbers of engagement and traction of Lyft's platform. How many rides are they giving per quarter? How many active riders they have, which are sort of like users. As you can see, incredibly steady and consistent growth in this number, hitting 178 million rides in Q4 alone, um, you know, growing consistently from 160 million in Q4. And then that purple line below there is active riders. If we if we just select that out and break that out, um, you can see that there's been impressive growth here in active riders. You know, people taking their platform, 18.6 million. I think that's interesting to think about, like, you know, Lyft almost has 20 million people on its platform. If you compare that to some of these social networks, like Lyft is actually getting up there in, in terms of the tens of millions of people. And this is just in the US and Canada. So really healthy growth in that part of the business as well. And if we look at take a look at the income statement, um, this is where Lyft, you know, the story of growth and excitement and this massive disruptive app starts to hit reality, which is, is this business actually making money? We've seen incredible top line growth in Lyft from 343 million to over 2 billion in 2018 revenue, but the operating losses have been pretty absurd. And we can break this out here in an annual chart for you to really get a sense of it. I mean, we've seen tremendous growth from Lyft, but at the same time, the losses are growing. But it is important to note that as a percentage basis, the losses are shrinking uh, as a percentage of revenue. So in the long term, I, I guess that's good. But on an on a aggregate basis, they are still growing. But one thing that I did want to point out here, which Lyft, I think, is doing some pretty sneaky accounting, um, which I think helped juice growth numbers heading into the IPO, which is that sales and marketing expenses primarily consist of advertising expenses, rider incentives. That last part I highlighted is super important because to me, a rider incentive is like when I get a notify on the Lyft app, like, hey, it's 30% off Lyft for this week. Like, you, maybe you should start riding Lyft. And then I start using Lyft way more and they're giving me these huge discounts. And I feel like I'm just like, arbitraging the whole system. And that's not actually going in cost of revenue. Per my understanding, it's going in sales and marketing. So just to highlight that, this is the sales and marketing line where they're putting the incentives to get get you and me to, 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 to ride, but that's not in the cost of revenue. But I would argue an incentive to get me to ride is sort of like a cost of revenue. And so that's one sort of thing that I kind of like looked at the financials and I was like, eh, I think they're kind of pulling a fast one there. I don't know if the gross margin is truly as strong as they say. But anyway, Let's take a look at this in the quarterly basis. Here we see Lyft's financials. Um, once again, very strong growth. Was it boosted by rider incentives? I don't know. You tell me. But they hit uh, 670 million in revenue in Q4. But this is where it gets ugly. This is the operating losses. Once again, on a percentage of revenue, they're doing okay and improving. But the aggregate loss hitting a record of 270 million in Q4 2018 on 670 million in revenue. So Lyft, you know, still nowhere near profitability, um, despite their size of two billion. And this is the number that I'm really going to be watching going forward. Which 
which is what is the growth rate of Lyft? Are they going to be able to maintain revenue, you know, this cr incredibly rapid revenue growth, or is this going to slow down? And we don't, we don't have that many quarterly numbers now, so that's why I only have four data points. But I think you're, we're going to see Lyft's revenue growth rate decline dramatically going forward unless they can start to hit some sort of geographic expansion. And so this is sort of the number I'm looking at because Lyft needs to get a whole lot bigger as a company to be profitable, and they're going to need to keep growing for years and years to come to get there. And so that's why the growth is so important. Now, the last thing from the SEC filing that I think is super interesting is the founder letter. And this is, uh, I don't know if most companies do this in their, their filing, but I thought it was nice that Lyft, you know, the founders of the company are still leading and operating the company. That's one of my biggest checking the boxes as an investor is, did the people who found it, are they owning and operating a huge chunk and, you know, running it on a daily basis? The answer is yes here for Lyft. So I love that. Um, and and I, lo I really like the, the sentiment of Lyft overall as a company that I get from these founders. And this letter really sums it up. Um, and, and one thing that I wanted to point out here in the letter specifically was that all Lyft uh, rides were made carbon neutral by purchasing offsets for over 1 million tons of carbon emissions in 2018. So about a year ago, Lyft committed to offsetting all of the carbon that its network produces. This is not something that Uber does. This is a key strategic move for Lyft's brand that I think is going to give a gives a, a huge, fascinating insight into the into the future of the transportation market and the premium placed on electric vehicles. And so Lyft has taken a stance as a company that they want to have a net carbon neutral network, which means they are either going to be pushing rides and EVs as much as possible. Otherwise, they're just purchasing a bunch of carbon offsets to, you know, offset the pollution that you're doing driving a gas car on their network. And so this commitment tells me, and, and this is only a year old, like I think we're going to keep seeing Lyft double down into electric vehicle offerings and being that clean, green sort of ride sharing app and, and brand. And that's going to be their niche. And I think that is an incredibly smart move, smart move strategically. I mean, I'm obviously biased as a Tesla investor, tree hugger, EV enthusiast, but I love to see that. And I love to see one of the a leading company push that and also Lyft has had this program that I think is like in beta or it's still they've been testing this program where you can actually order an electric vehicle it's like this green option where you're only riding electric um so I think in the future you know sort of a little moonshot Monday tangent here is that I see a huge opportunity for Lyft to partner with the large electric vehicle producer guess who the one I'm going to pitch is Tesla you know and they could buy an incredible amount of the $35,000 Model 3s start deploying those as fleets another big thing that Lyft has been pushing into is they offer leasing for their uh, drivers. So if you want to drive for Lyft, but you don't have a car, they're starting to roll out these programs where you can lease a car through Lyft so you can get a vehicle to start driving. And so, I mean, they're already, Lyft is already moving into purchasing or helping leasing large, larger and larger amounts of vehicles. And I think this is a hundred percent the direction that the company is headed. And if you think about, you know, Lyft buying, you know, th tens of thousands of electric vehicles to put on its network in all these cities and make them sustainable, I think partnering with Tesla seems like such an obvious move purchasing. You know, there was a rumor that I actually made a Moonshot Monday about way years ago when Travis Kalatnik, the CEO of Uber, joked with Elon Musk that said if he could build half a million Model 3s a year, he would buy all of them. That just goes to show you like how big the demand is for an ultra efficient vehicle for these networks. And I think the $35,000 Model 3 with a 200 mile plus range battery with Tesla's reputation of top quality EVs and the most durable and efficient EVs on the road and and the brand synergies between Tesla and Lyft, I just see either a partnership or, uh, you know, t Lyft just buying a ton of Teslas. So I think there's so much opportunity there, but I love uh, from a business and branding perspective, forget Tesla, that Lyft is pushing into EVs and green and sustainability. I think that's huge for the brand. Anyway, 
And the last point on this founder's note that I wanted to point out is just 1% of miles traveled in the US happen on ride sharing networks. And so the US, remember, is like a leader in ride sharing adoption uh, around the world. And yet only 1% of miles traveled are on ride sharing platforms. So as big as we think, you know, okay, maybe Lyft's growth slowing. What about Uber? What about this competition? Like this puts in context how big the opportunity is to flip the entire transportation system from car ownership to transportation as a service. And we're still just 1% of miles traveled to these ride sharing platforms. I think that's going to go to 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% over the coming years and decades. And the people who are going to capture the most of that opportunity are Lyft and Uber. And, and now let's move into the valuation because this is a great, you know, segue is that Lyft is, is setting up to be valued here. Let's call it at 25 billion when it hits the public markets. The company did have about 2 billion in cash pre-IPO. It's probably going to raise another, you know, 1.5, 2 billion after fees with this new IPO. So you're looking at a company with, you know, three and a half, four billion in cash worth 25 billion, did 2 billion in 2018 revenue, growing about 190% or growing about 90 to 100%. Um, you know, I think it, it's, it's really hard for me to, like I'm sort of, I guess the short answer is I'm like undecided about whether I'm bullish or bearish on this IPO. On one hand, as a consumer, I love Lyft. I love the brand. I love the product. I love what they're doing with green and sustainability. I think Uber looks like the bad guy. Lyft is the good guy. Uber's going to IPO at $120 billion valuation because they're global, because they have Eats, because they're bigger. But Lyft is a very similar business, which I'd argue has a better US brand positioning and is only valued at $25 billion. So comparing to Uber, it looks cheap. I love the future. I think this whole... But, but you know, and there's so many unknowns here. Like, I think the biggest trend with Uber and Lyft here is you're betting on change and disruption in the transportation system and that their management teams and their sort of software first, ment app first mentality will lead them to be a huge player in this revolution that we're seeing in the transport market. There's so many people that say the transportation industry is changing more in the next 10 years than it has in the past 100 with electrification and autonomy coming at once, two mega disruptions. And I could not agree more. On one hand, that leaves a lot of uncertainty about what the future looks like, but on the other other hand, it leaves a whole huge swath of opportunity. And like Lyft founders are saying, just 1% of that miles traveled here in the US are on ride sharing platforms now. And so 2 billion in revenue, that's super unprofitable. Like that doesn't get me excited. I don't, I'm not pumped about buying, a, a paying 25 billion for that asset, but can I see a path for Lyft to do 4 billion in revenue, 6 billion, then 8 billion, then 10 billion in revenue? Sure. And I think the gross margin on that revenue is going to, is going to improve dramatically over time. You know, this isn't, you know, bookings is one thing, which is like how much, like if you pay 10 bucks for a ride, that's $10 in bookings. Revenue that Lyft is reporting is just their cut of the bookings. So it's actually like a pretty higher margin uh, revenue line in the long term in theory. The autonomy question to me is still super interesting, but I think autonomy is still, you know, three, four, five years away, at least from being a big enough, uh, from getting enough traction in the mainstream to impact a business like Lyft if they, you know, even if they can't do autonomy. And so I'm not too worried about autonomy, but I think flipping to like the risks of Lyft, I guess one of the biggest things would be, you know, Uber, uh, the elephant in the room here, you know, Uber's going to IPO, they're going to have more money. It's sort of a race to the bottom. Like I always check Uber and Lyft apps pretty much simultaneously. I guess I'm a little more brand loyal to Lyft, but like, I don't know. You could argue that Lyft's business is actually extremely commoditized, and that's why they're trying to so rapidly expand on things like scooters and public transport and autonomy because they need to have an edge. On one hand, I see Lyft continuing to evolve, continuing to crush it, continuing to morph into this 21st century transportation as a service powerhouse. That's sort of like a lead generation for any way you want to get from point A to B. If I want to rent a car, if I want to get picked up in a car, if I want to rent a scooter, if I want to rent a bike, if I want to get self-driving car, if I want to take the bus, it'll all start through the Lyft app or maybe the Uber app. And I think 
whoever wins that sort of Amazon of transport, the platform for getting you anywhere you want to go in any city is going to be a huge business, probably bigger than any car company and could be worth hundreds of billions of dollars. And so I think that's sort of like this end holy grail that Uber and Lyft are going to. And if you think Lyft can be get at least a piece of that pie, then maybe 25 billion is super cheap. Um, but I think it's going to be a long road to get there. They're going to have a ton of scrutiny on their financials. You know, the, the, the profitability is not great now. It's not going to be great for years to come. So I don't know, a little bit of a mixed take on this IPO. I see huge potential with the opportunity, but I'm not convinced they have the business model to actually get them there to execute on it. But really excited. I'm going to be following this company very closely on HyperChange going forward. Of course, I know a ton of you have requested this video. Please let me know what you think in the comments below with your opinions and thoughts on Lyft. Also, a ton of this data I got from HyperCharts um, where we've uploaded the Lyft financials so you can play with those yourself. Make sure to check that out. Anyway, this is HyperChange. Thank you so much for tuning in. Definitely check out our Patreon page. Consider signing up for the newsletter if you support and like the channel. I'll see you guys next time. Peace.